This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 3. Singing has played an important part of our family culture ever since our children were very small. Today, there's often spontaneous harmony that fills our home, and the sound of a piano being played or guitars being strummed. Once they could read, I bought each of our children their own hymnal so that during family worship from time to time, we could sing together. But before they could harmonize or play instruments, or even read, we often listened to CDs of kids' songs as we drove around town. Students, if you don't know what a CD is, you can text your parents and ask them. (laughs) One of the albums that we had on repeat in the car was entitled We Sing, with an extra E, like the Irish version, we meaning little. It was a collection of songs that taught Bible stories and helped children memorize the books of the Old Testament and the New. It included songs like This Little Light of Mine, and so on. One of them told the story of the text we arrive at this morning. The lyrics went like this. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on their way. He asked for alms and held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then it had a chorus. If you know this, sing with me. They went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's not the best song. But when I went to study this passage, that little melody popped into my mind. And I wondered if our children would remember the song and, more importantly, the story of which it sings. I also thought about many adults who perhaps have read the miracles recorded in the New Testament, yet still wonder how they're meant to shape our lives as believers today. I haven't thought of students who will soon be back to college and be taught, well, there's no way the miracles of the Bible could have actually ever happened. And it made me eager to gather with you this morning and to marvel together at the power and plan of God revealed in the text before us today. Before we look at the passage, let me ask a question to get us thinking in the right direction. In what ways have you seen the power of Christ at work in your story? In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, the apostles Peter and John encounter a lame man begging at the temple gate. When the man asked them for money to temporarily help his situation, the apostles saw through that and addressed his greatest need. They gave him more than he ever imagined. That day, the man who had never known use of his legs went home 
walking and leaping and praising God. The main idea of this passage emphasizes the power of Christ in and through his apostles as evidence that the kingdom of God had not only come, but would continue to advance. We'll explore these ten verses from two different angles. First, the story, and second, the sign. Let me ask if you would, and if you're able, to stand to your feet as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Acts 3, 1-10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. First, look with me at the story. We noted how in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that that passage serves as a summary statement highlighting specific characteristics of the Jerusalem church, which included signs and wonders, meeting in the temple courts, praising God, prayer, the Lord adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, from Acts 3, verse 1, to the final verse of chapter 4, we will see each of those characteristics detailed in real life. We've looked through a wide lens description of the church, but now the focus zooms in on one specific miracle, one specific life, that illustrates how the gospel shapes the stories of individual lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out that one of the glories of the book of Acts is that it does not confine itself to didactic teaching. It also tells stories. It gives examples and illustrations of all that it puts before us. It gives the gospel in action as something living and real. Before us today is something living and real. No one tells the story better than Luke does, as he tells it. Yet, as we walk through the account of what happened, allow me to make some commentary on the story. To begin with, consider the setting. Verse 1 says, it was the ninth hour, or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as we would know it, 
which was the time of the second daily sacrifice called the Tamid. This is when Jews would go to the temple to pray. And here we find Peter and John on their way to worship God. As they approach the temple gate, we're introduced to a man sitting on the ground asking for money. And so that we don't just hurry by this nameless person, Luke includes some of his backstory. We learn that he had had a congenital condition from birth, so he was not able to walk. Acts chapter 4 verse 22 says that that was 40 years ago. This was ages before the wheelchair was invented. So if he wanted to move, people had to carry him from place to place. The man was positioned in his normal spot, just beside the entrance to the court of the Gentiles, begging for money at the foot of what is known as the beautiful gate. The historian Josephus tells us this massive door was covered in Corinthian brass. It was more beautiful than even other gates that were covered in silver and gold. And so the scene is set as a man with no use of his legs, unable to provide for himself, sat day after day, year after year, asking worshipers for alms as they passed on their way into the temple court. Yet this day would be unlike any other. 14,610 days he had been sitting at the beautiful gate asking for money. But that day, as Peter and John passed by and he asked for help, they looked straight at him. The word for looked there in Greek means to fix one's eyes on an object continually, intensely, to stare and to keep one's eyes fixed. Sometimes when we pass a person on the street or perhaps at a red light as we stop with a person standing in the median, we do everything we can do to look down or look away, to look past the person. But here they saw him. And certainly the apostles had seen him before. Perhaps they had given him alms many times in the past, or maybe they'd always passed by. We don't know. But today they saw him, and they really saw him in a different light. The Spirit of God opened their eyes to this man. When Peter told him, look at us, Look at us. Surely the hopes of this man rise as he thinks he's about to receive a few shekels as he's grown accustomed to. But instead of hearing the sound of a coin clanging in his bag, he hears a strange sentence. Silver or gold have I none. And I wonder as that sentence hung in the air, if he didn't wonder himself, Well, if silver or gold have you none, why are you bothering with me? This is a sentence deliberately structured to make an important point. What the man thought he needed, silver or gold, contrasted with what he actually needed. Peter says, what I have, I'll give to you. This is a leading sentence. I love sentences like this. And it's setting the stage for something far better. As Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. 
what was it that Peter had? It's what he had been given by his Savior. The authority. He had the power. He had the spirit of the risen Christ alive in him. And he could do far better than just drop a coin in a bag. The man doesn't ask to be healed. There's no lengthy prayer meeting called for. Just immediately he's told, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And instantly, this man who has never been able to stand on his own legs his entire life feels his ankles. Luke uses careful medical language. His ankles and and his heel grow stronger. He stands at first by clinging to Peter's hand, but then he's at full stretch. And he puts one foot in front of the other and he takes his first steps. I wonder if he's wobbling around like a toddler. And then standing and walking were not enough to express the joy that now overflowed from his heart. He leapt through the air, leaping, bounding around town, praising God for what he had done for him. The people recognize him. Their hearts are filled with wonder and amazement. They can't believe their eyes. There was no denying what had happened. This really happened. In the name of Jesus, he had been healed. The good news of Jesus changed this man's life, rewrote the story of his life in an instant. There was now one day in his life that separated it into two massive categories, everything before Jesus and now life after. That's the day that we're witnessing here. And before we move on, I wonder if we didn't just spend a moment to think back when the power of Christ intersected your story. Is there a day that separates your life into two massive categories? You might not know the exact day or the exact time. But for those of us who have tasted and seen the goodness of God and the finished work of Christ, that's happened for us. We needed the power of Christ to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what Jesus has done. One follow-up question. I wonder if you might just remember who looked at you. Who was it that looked at you long enough to see your need for salvation and loved you enough to share the good news of Christ with you? So you might praise God today for the work that he's done in your life. And praise God for the person that spoke the truth of the gospel to you. As we hear this story, let's be reminded of our own. Perhaps it's reason to leave here leaping and praising God. Now let's look at the sign. What did this miracle mean? Miracles are often called signs because they're supernatural events that point to something, and this is no exception. The purpose that God has behind the miracle of physical transformation is to authenticate and point people to the lasting spiritual transformation that the gospel brings. 
I'm going to say that again. The purpose God has behind the miracle of physical transformation is to authenticate and point people to the lasting spiritual transformation that the gospel brings. I want to show you two things about this sign. There are many we don't have time to get to. I tried and then they got edited out. Two things. First, we must understand that this was a sign of the continuing work of Christ. When we first set off on our journey through the book of Acts, I highlighted how Luke is so clear in his purpose of writing both his gospel and the book of Acts. So the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts, Dr. Luke. The gospel of Luke, he says, is him chronicling, recording the things Jesus began to do in his earthly ministry. The book of Acts is an orderly account of the continuing work of Christ through the apostles. And here we find just that, don't we? The first account of his apostles doing something that we saw Jesus doing in his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 tells the story of Jesus and another man who could not walk. Perhaps he couldn't even move. And when Jesus met him, he not only healed that man in front of a pack of Pharisees, he also pronounced, and this is far more extraordinary, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus forgave this man of sin. That happened in Luke 5, 17 to 26. Here we sit, Acts 3, 1 to 10, and we find Peter walking in the footsteps of his Savior, filled with the Spirit, healing people, and as we will see next week, Lord willing, pointing them to the only one who can forgive sin, pointing them to Jesus Christ. It's important we take note of this. It was not the power or authority of the apostles in and of themselves to cure this man's condition. It was the name of Jesus that was proclaimed. And when that happened, the man sprang up to his feet for the very first time in his life. It's clear that by the, the power by which Jesus healed people during his public ministry was still alive. The power of Christ still present with his people, active in the ministry of the apostles. So that's first. It was a sign of the continuing work of Christ. The next truth I want to highlight is this was a sign of the kingdom come. Here it's important that we remember where we are on the timeline of redemptive history to realize Luke's purpose in recording this miracle. He is showing that the promised kingdom of God had come and was now advancing in and through the apostles. The kingdom had come and was now advancing in and through the apostles. The physical healing illustrates the fulfillment of Old Testament promises, particularly pertaining to the messianic salvation. Let me connect those dots. Through the language Luke uses, this word translated leaping, or halamai, in verse 8, appears only here in the New Testament in Greek. 
And again, in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation called the Septuagint, in the book of Isaiah. Luke's use of the word in this context is meant to point his readers to the book of Isaiah by using this very specific one-time use word. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6 is the passage. And it foretells of a time when the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. What's Luke saying? That time is here. This lame man leaping is ultimately a sign that God had, in fact, brought salvation to his people. Even more than that, it's a foretaste of the day that's coming when all creation will be renewed and all of the lame will leap for joy. Every blind eye will open and see the glory of Christ. All sickness and cancer and anxiety and high blood pressure Gone. When all things are made new. This miracle is a little window for us to peer through into the future. You see, in a sense, the kingdom is already here. That's true. It came in the coming of Christ. And in a sense, the kingdom is not yet. Where Christians today get really out of balance is overemphasizing that the kingdom is here. So there should be no more sickness and suffering and sorrow. But we have to hold both intention as we rate between the already and the not yetness of the kingdom. And it's important to, to think of it in these terms. Now the kingdom is here in part. Then it will be in full with all of the bright joys that are promised us in the gospel of Jesus on the day he returns. I hope next week to show you that in Peter's sermon. For now, sometimes... We see healing either through supernatural means or through the providence of God in medicine, but there will come a day where there is no more need for doctors. In the age to come, our bodies will no longer bend under the gravity of sin. In the age to come, our hearts will no longer ache for things to be made right and made new. Do you ache for things to be made right and made new? Do you groan for that? That that groaning will one day be satisfied. That ache will one day be no more. It's as sure as his coming again. So Isaiah 53 and Acts 3 both are pointing to the kingdom here but also to the eschatological age, the age to come, the eschaton, the last day when Christ returns. The miracle then is not seen as some isolated incident, but as a part of the grand scheme, the grand plan of God to fulfill his promises in and through Jesus and his followers. Often as we read stories in scripture, we are able to tell how it's meant to inform our lives today quite easily. 
A friend asked me this week about this account and said, who are we in this story? Are we the man sitting in need of healing or are we the disciples sharing the message of Jesus? And the answer is both, isn't it? Aren't we both of those? You see, before Christ, we are this man sitting, helpless on our own, in need of someone to minister to us, to point us to the truth of who Jesus is. These miracles are little parables that teach us spiritual lessons. So like the man, we also have a condition from birth. It cripples us far worse than physically. The Bible says that condition is sin, and it runs through us. It's our sin that keeps us from entering the presence of God. So we might come to the edge of the gate. You might even come to church this morning, but you don't have the ability to lift yourself up out of that. We cannot heal ourselves. We need Jesus to heal, to cleanse, to renew us. We see in the reflection of this story something of each of our stories. Patrick Schreiner writes, The lame man was socially and physically blemished. Now he is welcome. He was spatially cut off from the people of God. We find that in Leviticus chapter 16, unable to enter into the temple. But now, welcomed. He was economically destitute. Now he has received riches from the true king. There's something of our stories in this. Yet we're also like the disciples, a people sent to our community, to our families, to our workplaces, to our circles of influence, called to keep our eyes open to where the Lord might be moving, to keep in step with the Spirit of God as we see those around us with need. I just wonder if there's someone in your life that you've walked past so many times, they're just like the living room furniture. Maybe you've given up hope that the gospel is strong enough to save them. Here their hearts were just, they were led by the Spirit, their eyes opened to see what was happening, and they stepped in and met the need. Maybe people in our path for years, we don't even notice them anymore. So the question for us is, who do we see and what do we have? What we have is the life-giving power of the gospel alive in us. Pointing people to the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. The greatest need of our friends and family members and neighbors is not their physical need, but their spiritual need. Christians have always been called to help meet physical needs, but never to the neglect of our mission, the spiritual need of the people that we love and serve. So we've looked at the story and explored the sign. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Peter's sermon that explains this miracle and how he glorifies Christ, the risen Christ, in light of this miracle. I hope you make every effort to be back here next Sunday as we do that. This morning, on this wintry morning, 
I was uh, at a friend's house last night and thought about this. On, I thought about, well, I wondered if anyone would show up because you know how we get. If it's like below 40, we're questionable. <laughs> but look at you. You've done well. On January the 6th, 1850, the wintry Sunday morning of his conversion, a, sto- a snowstorm blew through England. And Charles Spurgeon, instead of going to his normal church, attended somewhere closer to him. It was a prim- primitive Methodist chapel. He'd been roaming from church to church, actually trying to see who could share with him how to remove this burden of sin from his back. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that he had fallen short of God's glory. He needed someone to tell him what to do about it. That morning he walked into this Methodist chapel, but it wasn't the preacher who was preaching. He was either snowed in or just didn't show up. Some of you were hoping that would happen with me. (laughs) But it was the word preached through a poor uneducated man, a man who had never received any training for the ministry and probably will never be heard of in his life. That's Spurgeon's assessment of the preacher, not mine. And this man faithfully preached salvation in Christ to Charles Spurgeon. In the middle of the sermon, the man looked at him, just directly at him and said, you sir, you look miserable. (laughs) It's not polite in our common parlance, but Spurgeon knew that he looked and was indeed miserable. He felt that this direct approach, he called it a good blow. He said it struck right home. And then the minister explained he would always be miserable until he obeyed the text being preached that day. The text was Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, which says this, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. The man raised his arms in the air and said, you young man, look, look to Christ. Look to Christ and be saved. Look and live. Spurgeon said at once, I saw the way of salvation. His eyes in that instant beheld the glory of Christ. And like this man, he was lifted from his condition, safe in the arms of Jesus. Perhaps on January the 14th, 2024, this might be the wintry morning of your own conversion. It might be that through the word preached by just another ordinary man, that you might see the extraordinary beauty of the risen Christ. It might be in this passage that you see the reality and severity of your spiritual condition. And and like Spurgeon, you walked in here with a burden of sin on your back. Without life, without forgiveness of sin, without the joy of leaping with praise because you've been spiritually made right with God. There's another little song that I taught our kids when they were very small. It was a verse I wanted them to hide in their hearts so that they would know about salvation through Christ. It's from Acts 16.31. It says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. 
You say, well, silver or gold have I none. Well, simply to the cross, cling. Come with nothing and receive everything. You say, well, my resume is pretty uh, spotty. Your resume couldn't get you in in the first place. But only the finished work of Christ. What do you do then? What do you do with the burden of sin on your back? Look. Look to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. You, child, you, sinner, you, adulterer. Look and live. Let's pray. God, thank you for the treasures that we find in this passage. Thank you for the heart of compassion that is yours, that it shows us. You're the God of the humble and the friend of the weak and you wash the feet of the weary and broken. How your heart beats for the least of these. And how we see ourselves in that description. I pray that the melody of the gospel would tune our hearts to joyful singing. And the rhythm of the gospel would cause us to leave this place leaping for joy. Let your word that has been spoken do its, its good and continued work in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 